0: Now, as we come into the rest of this this time this morning, I'd like to to invite you to open your Bibles and look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. We're going to continue the study that we began back at the beginning of the year, kind of working through these passages about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and the things that he taught his followers to think and do. And so we're, we're here at Mark, chapter 9. We're actually beginning the second part of the Gospel. Okay, The Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters. We've covered the first eight. Now we're in the second eight. And in fact, um, the end of Mark chapter eight culminated with really the highlight of the entire gospel. It was Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples said, well, some people think that you're a prophet. Some people think that you're a teacher. And Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter, who was often the first to speak, Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that is correct. This, this uh, confession of Peter was the highlight, is the highlight really, of the gospel of Mark. And that's the question that all of us have to grapple with. Okay, who do you say Jesus is? Do you agree that he is the Savior? Do you understand that he's the Messiah? Have you made him your Lord? So that was Mark, the first eight chapters. And now we get into the second chapter. The second eight, it starts in Mark chapter nine, verse one. At the end and it's kind of an awkward transition here, the way that these chapters were numbered and the way that things went together. And so Mark nine one actually is kind of the end of the account that happened in the end of Mark eight. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This has been a confusing verse for a lot of people. There were folks that said in that day, oh, okay, well, God's kingdom is going to come in its fullness very soon because we can't all live forever. I've seen Christian fiction books, underlying the word fiction, that worked on, well, maybe there was somebody who was alive then and, and God miraculously has kept them alive these last 2,000 years because they're looking forward to the full return of the kingdom of God, all kinds of ideas about what does this mean. I would suggest that it's actually simpler than that we could figure it out by continuing to read mark chapter 9 it says in verse 2 that 6 days after this whole thing jesus took peter james and john they were 3 of his 12 disciples and they were probably the 3 who were closest to him jesus took peter james and john with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them transfigured just means that his appearance was different right his appear his figure changed. His essence didn't change. His person didn't change, but his figure, the way that he looked changed for a moment. Have you ever noticed that there are people that in your life, they come and go every couple years you see them. Have you ever had any of your friends show up and you hadn't seen them for a while? Maybe you had been talking, maybe you had been sending emails or even talking on the phone, but then when they showed up, you realized, wow, they look really different than they did before. Have you ever had a friend that showed up and you thought, wow, they got old fast. Or wow, they put on a lot of weight or they lost a lot of weight. Or or, wow, they used to be this way and now they're, right? We've all had that experience. That is a bit of a transfiguration, right? It's the same person. It's your same friend. You have the same conversations, but they look a little different. Well, this is a more dramatic, holy instance of that. Jesus was transfigured before them. There's a bit more description. Mark 9, verse 3, it says that his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. If you like looking at parallels in Scripture, this may not be too far off than in the Old Testament in Exodus when Moses came down off of the mountain after his time with God. It says that he had a glow about him. In fact, he had to veil his face for a little while because the people of Israel were a little bit stressed out and freaked out about about the way that he looked differently. That was Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus here. His clothes became dazzling white. I would suggest to you that we're going to experience the same thing one day. In Psalm 51, verse 7, some of you know this old verse has become part of many hymns. David says, Lord, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Right? There's a transformation coming for all of us one day when we are in glory. So here, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. He go up on the mountain. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Verse 4, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses, both at this time, had been dead for centuries. These were famous characters in the Old Testament and in God's story. Elijah, perhaps one of the greatest prophets. Moses, one of the great leaders. These guys... Their figure was different than people would have known on earth too. Peter, James, and John never saw Elijah and Moses before this point. So to them, this is just, I guess, what Moses and Elijah look like with their heavenly bodies. But they're talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, they're used to encountering God on the mountain. There's a story in Exodus 19 and about Moses. There's a story in 1 Kings 19 about Elijah. They both were men who were on the mountain with God, and now they are again. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Wouldn't it be something to be a fly on the wall? There were no walls, I understand, but you you get the meaning. Wouldn't it have been something to be Peter, James, or John? I mean, what do Jesus and Moses and Elijah talk about? What is that? How are the Phillies doing? I bet that wasn't it. How about this weather? I bet it was deeper. Well, we really don't have to guess too much. It actually says in... The gospel of Luke, Luke tells the same story. Luke investigated and asked all kinds of people about all these things of Jesus, and Luke put together a story, or Luke put together his account, and in Luke 19, Luke tells this same story that Mark does, but adds a few details. In Luke 19, it says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus spoke about Jesus' departure. In other words, they were talking about the death that was coming for Jesus, and that Jesus has been telling his disciples about. So in Luke 19, it says they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It says in Luke 19 that Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Sometimes that happens when the old men get talking, right? The young men get sleepy. Peter's companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elisha. And then, and then in the book of Luke, in parentheses, it says, Peter did not know what he was saying. He had just woken up, still sleepy, perhaps. But back to the Gospel of Mark. In Mark's account, we simply know that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. Before him appeared Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. In Mark's account, now remember, Mark got his information from Peter. So Peter told Mark what Peter said, and this is what Peter said. Verse 5 of Mark 9, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Those of you who are scholars of the Jewish religion could have all kinds of comparisons made to tabernacles and, and, and ceremonies. I'm not going to go down that road today. What I'm going to ask you to think about is this. If you had been in Peter's shoes, what would you have said? Peter says, good to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter perhaps intending to be hospitable. We're out here on the top of this mountain. Maybe we need somewhere to stay. We could talk longer tomorrow. When you don't know what to say, maybe don't say anything. This is a hard lesson for me. I think there are some of us who, when we're overwhelmed, when we're, whether it's good or bad, when we're overwhelmed, we get really quiet because we don't know what to say and we don't want to say anything foolish. And then there are people like me who, when they're overwhelmed and they don't know what to say, they just start talking. This is something I've had to work on over the years. I'm better at it. I'm not over it. But we have these responses, don't we? when things happen around us that either we can't quite comprehend or we see it and it's so amazing. I mean, if you were Peter or James or John, what would you do if you saw Moses and Elijah, these men that you've been hearing about since your childhood, these heroes of the faith, and they're talking with Jesus and not just the Jesus that you've been walking with the last couple of years, but this Jesus whose clothes are whiter than anybody could bleach them and who has this glow about him. What would you say? James and John apparently didn't say anything. Peter says... Let's let's build some huts. Luke says he did not know what he was saying. Mark doesn't say anything about Peter except God's response. Verse seven, then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now I added the inflection there. I'm not sure if that's how God said it. But just think about what's happened. Peter has responded with this. You know, I, I wonder if the disciples would have just gone, oh, Peter, I don't know if Jesus ever rolled his eyes, but he might have rolled his eyes at Peter. Let's put up three shelters. And God shows up and says, this is my son, listen to him. So there's a different way. That, maybe it's don't listen to Peter, <laughs> listen to Jesus. Maybe he's talking to Peter and says, Peter, shut your mouth, listen to him. Interesting that that's recorded right after Peter spoke. Is Peter being scolded? It's almost like Peter was finally at the grown-up table, right? Come along with me up to the top of the mountain. Moses, Elijah, Jesus are talking. But Peter, as that that kid who maybe shouldn't have been invited yet, starts speaking up. Grandpa says, listen, listen. And verse 8, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Because really, what else is there for God to say? You've got Jesus in your presence. You've got my very son in your presence. Can't you see what's happening? He's talking with Moses and Elijah. Listen to Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. See, Peter, James, and John still didn't quite understand this whole death and resurrection thing, this thing that Jesus has been talking about already. They still didn't get it. And they ask him, verse 11, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer such and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as has been written about him. Jesus says, in other words, the world, is, the world is primed for the Messiah. The world is ready. And here Peter, James, and John still just must have been stunned. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see Jesus transfigured, speaking with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Let me pause for just a minute. Um, this week, there was a really bad boat accident in Northeast. Uh, a young lady was killed. That young lady, her maiden name was Pruitt, and um, she got friends in this congregation. Just a tough boating accident. Situation. I'd like to uh, I'd like to ask you to pray for the Pruitt family. Um, Dave and Dars McCreary, especially, know them very well. Uh, their daughter was killed in this accident uh, very recently. Which which day was it? Is it was on Wednesday. Um, so I wonder if we can take a moment, just kind of pause, just kind of pause as we're here in the presence of Jesus. I wonder if we can take a moment. And pray for the Pruitt family. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we've celebrated a lot of things already today. We're thankful for your provision. We're thankful for the way that you've blessed Hope Christian Center to be able to work in the Bronx. We're thankful for the way that you've helped so many of our friends come through surgery and and difficult times. But Lord, now we know that the Pruitt family is hurting. We know that there are little children who are left behind now without their mother. Lord, some of us can imagine the grief, many of us cannot. I pray, Lord, for this family that you would comfort them, make yourself known to them, show yourself to them in much the same way that you showed yourself to Peter and James and John. Lord, we ask for your presence to be here and to be powerful. Lord, show us your way. Show Dave and Doris how to be present for their friends. Lord, pray for the Pruitt family. That you would give them faith in this time of darkness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes, when things like that happen, any of you, I mean, some of you have lost friends very recently, and you know that feeling of just wishing you could disappear. You know that feeling of being around friends who are hurting and you wish you could say just the right thing to make them feel better but there's nothing that's going to make them feel better. You've been there, right? There are all kinds of things that that may lead us to be speechless. Peter should have been speechless. James and John, they were overwhelmed by the power of Jesus' presence and his picture there. Sometimes you and I are overwhelmed by those amazing things too. But sometimes we're overwhelmed by the pain. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by the situation around us that is just a mess. And the loss around us that just hurts. This is part of our life here for now, right? This is part of the suffering that we endure. Even as God followers, we know that there is pain and suffering. Did you know that in In Mark chapter 8 and 9 and 10, three times Jesus tells people that he has to die and be dead for three days and rise from the grave and that this is all part of God's plan. Did you know three times this happens? We've discussed one of them already last week. Three times Jesus talks about suffering, his own suffering. And did you know that every time when confronted with suffering, every time when confronted with the possibility of pain, every time the people around him either scolded him or argued with him or argued with somebody else, there is something about pain and suffering that just sends many of us into a loop. In Mark chapter 8... Jesus says, I'm going to die. He tells this to his disciples. I'm going to die. I'll be dead for three days, and then I'm going to rise. And in Mark chapter 8, Peter acts like he knows better and he rebukes Jesus. You remember this? We talked about it last week. Peter says, Jesus, this should never happen. Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking in the ways of the world. You're not thinking about godly things. That's Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 9, you'll see it in a couple weeks. Jesus tells his disciples, that he is going to die, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be dead for three days, and after three days he's going to rise. And his disciples, do you know how they responded? They started arguing about who was the greatest. While they were walking down the road, they had an argument among themselves about which one of the disciples was really the top guy. Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? Oh, oh, no, Jesus, no nothing, nothing. When confronted with this talk of suffering, what do they do? They, they have to start figuring out who's the top dog. In chapter 10 of Mark, we're going to see this in a month or two. Jesus says, Guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the grave for three days. I'm going to rise. I'm going to be resurrected. This is God's plan. James and John follow that up right away with the appropriate question Can we sit at your right hand and left hand in glory? No, it's not an appropriate question. It's ridiculous. It's self centered. They're thinking about themselves. Jesus talks about suffering, and it's almost as if people lose their minds. These are the pre-resurrection disciples that Reuben was talking about earlier, right? Things overwhelm us. Sometimes it's glorious things like Jesus on the mountain. Sometimes it's, it's Jesus talking about suffering. These disciples couldn't get it. They just argue about who's greater. They tell Jesus that he's wrong or they ask for privileges that are not theirs to ask for. Sometimes you and I face the same kind of things. We have things that happen in our lives. Sometimes it is the birth of a child. Sometimes it is just that, that glorious thing we're finally connected with the person that we've been waiting for. Sometimes it is just a friendship that comes through in a way that is powerful. Sometimes it's just watching a graduation or a Bible school night or that friend of yours that just finally is the person that they're meant to be. We get overwhelmed by those things. Sometimes it's grief and sometimes it's pain. So often we don't know how to respond. Some of us just clam up, don't say anything. Some of us just start yabbering about the mouth and say things that we'll later regret. So what do we do? In these times when we don't know what to say, in these times when we're not sure how to respond, when when we want to be careful, (laughs) Reuben, I so much appreciate the fact that you were able to tackle Proverbs today. Proverbs 17, 28, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. That's close to a phrase that one of my friends taught me in middle school. He said, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> but often we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say. Either in our excitement or in our grief, we feel overwhelmed. What do we do with that? Well, that's, that's the end of the sermon today. What do we do with that? I'm going to point you to John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you, this is not on the screen because it's a last-minute edition. John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Jesus and his disciples, and in fact, all of Jerusalem have been at a festival. In John 7, 37, it says that on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John seven thirty nine says that by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I think these three verses in John are instructive. Reuben talked about the disciples before the resurrection and after. He talked about how Peter and James and John, these guys who argued about who was the greatest when it was totally inappropriate. Peter who scolded Jesus even though it was totally inappropriate. These men somehow were changed. They were transformed. They they became the kind of men that they were not before and they've written books that are now in our scripture. We read them 2,000 years later. Peter, James, John, the other disciples, they, they planted churches around the world. They were different men after Jesus than before. What is the secret? It's what Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. How does this happen? John seven thirty nine. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Before Jesus rose from the grave, before Jesus showed that he had the power of God, the Holy Spirit was not yet upon people. The Holy Spirit was still in heaven. Peter, James, and John, and these stories that we read in Mark and in John and in Luke, Peter, James, and John are still kind of themselves themselves. They're learning from Jesus, they're following Jesus, they're observing what Jesus is doing, but they're still kind of working from their own capacity, from their own understanding, and from their own observation. However, the thing that changed their lives, the thing that changed, that that Acts reflects, that the rest of the New Testament reflects, is that after Jesus went up into heaven, what came down, you can read about this in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, today when you go home for lunch, I'd encourage you to do so. When Jesus went up into heaven, he then sent the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit came to earth to dwell with those who believe in him. The Holy Spirit came to earth to fill the minds and the hearts of those who were followers of Jesus Christ. And you can read in the book of Acts about the amazing things that started to happen. These people, they were still themselves... They still had the same identity and their bodies were not changed because they were still here on this earth. But God's Holy Spirit came down and filled them up and empowered them to do things they couldn't do before. Gave them words to say that they hadn't planned out before. Gave them courage and conviction that they didn't know before Jesus had sent his spirit to them. Jesus says, If you're thirsty, If you're thirsty for the right words, you're thirsty for the right attitude, you're thirsty to be able to be there for your friends, you're thirsty to be able to push through the overwhelmness. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from within you. Jesus said that to people who were not yet going to realize the Spirit. As we read it today, I hope you know that this Spirit that he's talking about is available to us now, right now. And so Jesus is talking to these people about something that's going to happen. We can look at this as something that is going to happen, but for many of us, this has happened. The Spirit whom we have received has been given. Do you know God's Holy Spirit? Does the Spirit guide you in those moments where someone needs something from you? Has the Spirit filled you to a degree that that you just somehow get the right words or the right quiet or the right bearing? Some of you know that, right? Right? You can look back on situations and say, I don't know how I got through that. I didn't plan for that. I didn't think about that. But God got me through, and and that thing that I said was just the right thing, even though I didn't plan for that. You've had that experience. That's the Holy Spirit working. Some of us, though, in this room don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, if you don't believe in Jesus and haven't made him your Savior, the Holy Spirit is not going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon people and empowers people who have given their lives to the Lord. But Christians, are there any of you in the room who know Jesus but don't yet know this power of the Spirit? The Spirit who shows up and just gives you what you need when you need it? No matter why you're overwhelmed, the Spirit helps you to get through that overwhelmedness. I want to take a moment just here at the end of all this today, recognizing that a lot of us have seen a lot of things, good and bad. We've experienced a lot of things, good and bad. And we all need more than what we've got. And so I wonder if you'll take a moment with me just to pray and ask for God to send his spirit upon us. And if you've never known the power of the Holy Spirit before, may God bring it powerfully. If you've known the power of the Holy Spirit for a long time, may God freshen that again, so that you may be one who would say indeed that rivers of living water are flowing from within you. Not because of your own power or because you're just so awesome, but because the Holy Spirit is within you. So I know, we're getting near the end of the morning, but I wonder... I wonder, as we think about what do we do with all this, I wonder if we can take this first very basic step of just asking God to send his spirit to be on us so that we can receive our instructions as the needs arise. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us because we can't save ourselves. Jesus we know that you can hear us from your throne in heaven right now Jesus would you would you apply to us again the power of your blood thank you Jesus for dying for us for enduring that agony on our behalf thank you Jesus for being so powerful that you could rise from the grave not being held down by death thank you Jesus for teaching us through the Scripture, for teaching your disciples directly. Thank you, Jesus, for offering us your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for sending us your Holy Spirit. Jesus, even though you are in heaven right now, you've sent your Spirit down to be with us so that we are not alone. So that when we face situations that are difficult, we don't have to rely on our own resources. We can lean on you for the right words, the right attitude, and the right tone. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit. And thank you for the evidence of your Holy Spirit's work in this church, in the lives of the people gathered here, and in our community as we witness for you. Thank you, Lord. We know that you have been at work, Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit, today we call upon you now again. And Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts so that indeed streams of living water may flow out from us so that we may know the refreshment and the peace that comes from being filled by you and not having to lean just on our own understanding. Holy Spirit, would you please come and fill our lives? And and church, if if you right now would like the Holy Spirit to come upon you in a fresh and powerful way, you can just pray those words to God however it seems right to you, but something like, Holy Spirit, please fill me now. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Church, go ahead and pray. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we want more of you. We want all of you. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this place and fill our hearts, fill our minds, overwhelm our lives in such a way that we are ready for whatever comes. If we face suffering, Holy Spirit, help us to stand up beneath it. If we face joy, help us to celebrate with all that we've got. If there is trouble, help us to navigate our way through. If there is death, help us to remember that there is also hope. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to make us more than what we are on our own so that we can be witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood is enough for all to be washed clean. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with us come upon us now in a fresh way. And Lord, I pray that you'd work so that for those in this room who are maybe still a little bit confused or a little bit foggy about Jesus or this spirit thing, Lord, bring your clarity. Bring us whatever we need to know so we can respond to you in a way that changes lives. Thank you, God, for this time together. We praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and lead us in our closing song congregation, I'm going to invite you as we sing, as we sing, just kind of continue to dwell in this place where you're inviting God into your heart. You're acknowledging the Father God for who he is, the great creator and Lord of the universe. You acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is, the Savior who died and rose for us, but also acknowledge the Holy Spirit who is now present with us and upon us and do what you can to keep your heart and your mind open to the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's moving. Can you stand now and, and join us as we, uh, as we sing this song? I, I think is appropriate. I stand in awe.